0: 2022 was truly a one-dimensional year where the persistence of inflation dominated nearly everything else. We saw the sharpest rise in lending rates across any tightening cycle since the late 1970s, and other composite measures of financial conditions also tightened significantly throughout the year. It's not surprising then that both equities and bonds were incredibly challenged. But what really stood out to me is the elevated level of volatility, particularly in fixed income, as well as the rapid changes in sentiment that took place around updates from the Fed. Beneath the surface, we've also seen rapid shifts in the factors underpinning the market, leading to a number of what I would describe as inflection points, where the character of the market shifted. But none of these inflection points have proven to be durable yet. And we may be in for more of these shifts until we have more clarity on the ultimate destination for rates. The good news is that we're getting closer to that point, and it's also worth highlighting that despite the rapidly changing underpinnings of the market, there have been some durable themes and factors that consistently worked last year in 2022. But can we count on them working if we come to another inflection point in 2023? And how should we think about navigating those inflection points? At the end of the day, being on the right side of these inflections is really where alpha can be meaningfully made or lost. And to help with that, I've asked Steve Singleton, Head of Investment and Portfolio Risk at Raymond James Investment Management, as well as Pete Schofield, Senior Portfolio Manager on Chartwell Investment Partners' Dividend Value Strategy, to join us today, specifically to provide color on some of the factors that have and haven't been working beneath the surface and how they think about navigating volatility and key inflection points. This is Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. I'm your host, Matt Orton, and I invite you to join me and my colleagues as we discuss the latest trends and developments driving the markets. Visit us at marketsinfocuspodcast.com for additional episodes and insights. Stephen Pete, thanks for joining today.
1: My pleasure, Matt. Great to be here.
0: All right. We can all agree that the past year has been pretty one-dimensional from the top, but there's a lot happening beneath the surface, and I don't think this ever gets enough airtime in the market narrative. So before we begin, Steve, maybe from a high level, you can start simply by discussing what, what and why factors matter. How can it be leveraged in alpha generation and to help navigate volatility? Sure, Matt. You know,
2: factors provide a lens of clarity into what the market's reacting to on any given day, including intraday and associated longer extended periods. The continual decade long integration of technology and finance has brought us to this point in the journey where concepts such as efficient markets and the efficient market hypothesis are now tangibly played out on trading floors every day and serve as underlying pillars driving public market investing. For public equities in particular, investors can very easily access any portion of these markets as all benchmark stocks are in at least three, if not four, ETFs. And that would be size, style, sector, or theme, and in some cases, various themes. So with that as a backdrop, it creates a very clear opportunity to utilize some of that technology to combine fundamental disciplines and diligence with quantitative acumen to exploit the volatility present and identify durable and sustainable alpha trends by
0: accessing or avoiding certain factors in play. Yeah, Thanks, Steve. I think that's a great setup for Pete because I'd love to hear from a portfolio manager how you think about managing portfolio risks, particularly around some of the multiple double digit market moves that we had in a year like last year. You don't
1: necessarily see this kind of volatility coming, but when it occurs, I think it's most important to be flexible and opportunistic and to not let your portfolio positioning get too one-sided. These market swings don't have to be our enemy. In fact, we can take advantage of them by seizing the opportunity to buy a stock that's been on our watch list, for instance. Maybe we were just holding out for better valuation. And similarly for trims or sales from our current holdings where we were waiting for a better price. And I'd also add that a volatile market often gives active managers a chance to shine if you can be nimble, whereas a straight upline market probably gives some advantage to passive approaches.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Pete. Because you know, finally, for the first time, really since 2007, we actually saw active managers do well last year, which is uh, which is a welcome relief. And on a risk-adjusted perspective, too, like you pointed out, active management actually begins to matter when you have these moves. So. I know now that we've got some background, Steve, maybe you can talk about what has worked and hasn't worked last year from a factor perspective. Even within factors, there's been a lot of volatility. But at the same time, I know there's been some that have consistently been in and out of favor. In
2: our risk group, we talk a lot about the 2022 trade or strategy as one There was long the value, momentum, quality, yield, and profit factors. These were the factors that largely performed well and led the year. And portfolios with positive active exposures to these factors, active exposure being portfolio minus benchmark, typically outperform their associated benchmarks by a margin with lower volatility. What struggled this year was the other side of that trade, where you found stocks with no earnings or lower quality or negative or downward momentum. And these are characteristics that were typically consistent with longer duration growth stocks. Not necessarily bad concept stories, just no near term visibility into earnings at a time when rates were undergoing a powerfully persistent multi-handle rise.
0: Yeah, and as a follow-up, Steve, maybe you could provide some color on the most pronounced changes we've seen over the last year. Now, what changed, and why do you think we saw the changes occur so sharply? There were
2: some very wide volatility swings we saw over periods as acute as intraday. The stage was set early in the year with the first of the four 75 basis point hikes. A single height of this magnitude had not been seen since November of 94, and serial back-to-back hikes of magnitudes like this take us back to 1980, and Volcker's move from 14 to 20% for the Fed funds rate over the course of the year to defeat inflation. The 2022 backdrop of volatility was a similarity of purpose, which harkened back to that Volcker call, not necessarily in scope, but certainly in concept. So as a reaction to economic news or suggestion that direction on monetary policy could shift, we would see two or more lightly correlated factors, volatility and momentum in particular, become negatively correlated and stage major moves in opposite direction where momentum was most aligned with the 2022 winning trade of value and profitability and volatility Aligned with the counter trend side of that, which was longer duration or no earnings again, negative momentum, lower quality. This latter set were the drivers, however, seen in several impressive rallies consistent with the rallies we saw where volatility had been overdone in the short term or where investors assumed an announcement or indication of Fed pivot or pause was nearing. Stocks most positively correlated to these factors, led, and in doing so, have provided insight into what may lie ahead when we collectively see light at the end of this tunnel.
0: Mm, yeah, that's great context, you know, it's the pivot party that hasn't really materialized yet. It's been crashed every single time, and and you know we probably know the answer, but I think it's worth asking anyway. You know, how normal is it? Is it normal to see the dramatic whipsaws that we experienced throughout most of 2022? Yeah,
2: factor movement is something you can expect. I mean, they shift in small increments over time and acutely during the day, but not nearly as dramatically on balance as we saw in 2022. And that's partly because of what we saw with monetary policy, but also partly to the fact that factor investing and factor consideration as we think of it today, separate from quantitative investing at large, which has been in force for 50 years has really only been front burner for the past decade. You can sort of harken it back to the post-Great Recession times where you know, the combination of uh, research affiliates and Willis Tower and Watson you know, began exploring fundamental investing, which sort of led us into the space of style betas and factor investing. You know, that said, I think we'll see whipsaws at inflection points of regime change, perceived or actual, but perhaps not of the same magnitude, but still whipsaws all the same.
0: Thanks, Steve. And I want to bring Pete back in because one area that was pretty consistent over the last year was the outperformance of growth over value. And Pete, maybe you can dive a bit deeper into what has really driven the outperformance of value. Are there certain sectors or industries or factors where this has been most noticeable, And can this outperformance continue if and when we do see a true Fed pivot?
1: Yes, after a long drought, value outperformed growth in 22. And it was quite pronounced as a result of the Fed's rate raising campaign. And I think it has as much to do with why growth underperformed. To borrow from fixed income parlance, longer duration assets really took it on the chin And growth stocks are just that. You're getting more of your return in the future relative to value stocks. Additionally, you had the challenge of starting point valuations for growth stocks being inordinately high at the beginning of the year, giving them more room to fall. Software was an industry that illustrates this. The higher growth, higher valuation stocks in this group were down 50% or more in 22 As to sectors, the pattern was as you would expect. Some of the classic growth sectors like tech and communication services were among the hardest hit, down 28 to 40% in the S&P 500. And the really extraordinary one on the value side was energy. Not only was this sector not down, it soared up 66%. And while energy is not a large weight in the indices, that magnitude move certainly contributed to value trouncing growth. And the final part of your question, On the eventual pivot, as Steve alluded to with some light at the end of the tunnel, growth would most likely lead on the heels of that. We had evidence of that in 22 to support this. The three or four times where there was an expectation of a near-term Fed pivot, which of course never came to pass, growth stocks jumped out in front of value for a short time.
0: I think what... What I took away as well, just running some quick numbers, you know, when you take the two underperforming sectors, the high duration, like you said, versus what worked in energy, you're almost at 100% uh, dispersion between the top and bottom performing sectors, which at least to me certainly seems a little bit mind-boggling and maybe highlights what you and Steve have been talking about with respect to some of the anomalies of, of 2022 and the differences we've seen. And A natural follow-up, I guess, then, Pete, is how do you manage around the potential change that we can see? What tangible actions should investors be thinking about to prepare for the eventual pause in rate hikes and ultimately maybe cuts coming down the road? Now, are there certain types of companies that you would want to own to prepare
1: for this? Matt, this is a tough one because we have two critical events that could happen in 2023. We don't know when, but the Fed will most likely wind down their rate increases, and as we've just discussed, this alone would suggest that investors might want to start moving some assets toward growth stocks. However, there is a big fly in the ointment, which is that we could now see a recession later in the year resultant from the Fed's actions. Every additional move higher in Fed funds rates takes recession probability higher, not to mention the depth and duration of the recession. To prepare for that, rather than emphasizing growth by itself in your portfolio positioning, I'd say that defensiveness and earnings certainty ought to be paramount in your stock selection. So you could focus on defensive growth. Some areas of healthcare exhibit those characteristics, for example.
0: Right. So it seems like that ties to what Steve says about higher quality as well. And that certainly makes sense. And let me ask you one other follow-up question because, you know, Maybe this was anomalous during 2020 where growth was the defensive part of the market. Do you think that is typical of what we might see going forward? Or do you think really it's being defensive within growth that that's going to be, um, you know, the, the way to, to, to go going forward?
1: 2020 had certainly a very unique circumstance with COVID unfolding throughout that period. So parts of tech for sure became defensive People even called it a staples sector, part of the subgroup staples sectors because of work from home and increased use of technology away from the office. So I think that was an unusual time in 2020. Going forward and for 2023, I think it comes down a lot to what we're going to hear from companies. We've already seen in areas like semiconductors, some downward revisions and forward estimates and guidance. And I'd also add that valuation, as I alluded to, is going to be critical. The starting point valuation going into last year was a challenge, and a lot of that was corrected. So I think a good part of technology now is fairly valued if we don't get a lot of earnings resets.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Pete. And so I want to take that same question now about Managing around change and flip that over to Steve, and ask it from a factor perspective: you know, How should investors think about identifying change in market character, uh, whether it's durable, and how to lean into that change?
2: Yeah, from a factor perspective, you know, absent noteworthy news or data that would signal a regime change, like a Fed pivot or pause or economic or geopolitical news, we always advocate and we do. Watching the factors over a daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly period and tracking the trending time frames, i.e., what's in force, what isn't, and trying to discern why. Looking for changes at the more acute ends to see if they are durable. It's what we do as part of our daily acumen. And from a portfolio construction uh, perspective, we're able to use mean variance optimization as a tool to access or lean into these durable changes, often without the need to change names,
0: just the weights, as alpha is usually found there at the margin. And Steve, I've got one follow-up on that just to make it a little bit more tangible. So when I think Post-October CPI, you know, momentum was absolutely crushed that day, but that wasn't a durable inflection point. You know, how did you look at that sort of big change? And similarly, we're starting to see momentum reverse a little bit at the start of this year in 23. You know, how do you look at whether there's durability to that? Yeah, Matt,
2: we look for the breadth around these changes. And what we mean by breath is just, you know, how many names are participating across factor categories, that is, across size and across style. If we see a lot of movement across a broad sector of stocks in that fashion, you know, that tends to be a signal that we're now going to actually really look closely for an ensuing follow-through in the next several days to weeks. And those are the pivots that we're looking for, the inflection points that we're looking for. And and sometimes, as we all know, they can end up being head fakes. Uh, You can get it for a day or two and then it flips back to the legacy trade. But in the case of what we tend to do is we strap in and and look at a daily basis and watch the trending because overall, the trending actually
0: tells us exactly where we want to be. Great. And, And something that wasn't a head fake last year in 2022 that was really one of the, the most consistent outperformers was dividend yield and dividend growth. So Pete, given your focus uh, on a dividend value strategy, you know, do you think this can continue in 2023?
1: The yield factor was indeed quite strong in 22 with a huge spread of relative performance between the highest yielding stocks and non-yielders. In fact, one of the largest we've seen in all the years that we've tracked this. And this was actually counter to the normal playbook of yield usually not doing well in a rising rate environment. But in this case, with the short end of the yield curve moving up as far and as fast as it did, you wanted to find stocks that gave you a return of capital. So there was no better place than dividend yield stocks for that. Whether it can continue, that comes back to our earlier discussion about the wild cards in 23, Fed pivot, recession risk earnings guide downs, and so forth. I think that that for as long as defense is winning over offense or risk on, dividend yielders can continue to do well. Great. And I think
0: this sets up nicely for kind of a final question I'm going to post to both of you since we're running out of time. But I would love to hear from you, Steve and Pete, what you think is going to work going forward. Are there durable changes that you expect to see in 2023? And are there any sectors, industries, factors that look particularly attractive? And Steve, I'll throw that over to you first.
2: I'll speak from a factor and macro perspective and let Pete give his visibility into sectors and industries. Going forward, we see 2023 following the Fed in continued anticipatory fashion you know, while the prevailing debate you know, still remains around the terminal Fed funds rate target, you know, what we know is that we're closer to the end of the hike cycle than we were 12 months ago. Thus, we start the year assuming that the 2022 trade still remains in force, that is long value, quality, profit, and yield. But we see it with a shorter lifespan than we anticipated going into 2022, and that's largely because of the success we've seen in, in those factors over the last 12 months and that trade altogether. I left momentum out of that forecast because consistent with nearing the end of the cycle trade, stocks that didn't participate as much in 2022, they weren't necessarily long duration, have been participating recently. These are not necessarily the current momentum stocks as we saw them last year. Some are lower quality as, you know, higher leverage, less predictable earnings trend, though an earnings trend all the same. This sort of extended all boats trade anxiously awaits signs, you know, like we saw last Friday, like we've seen earlier this week that the accumulation of the 2022 tightening cycle will show its broad effects not only on goods, but on services and even wages in coming reports. And sort of in the face of this higher for longer stance that you know the Fed is staunch in at this point, this is still dovish, and it sets up the other side of the trade where equity duration can and likely will be extended a bit. And the growth names that were so uniformly beaten down in them a- and a mass repricing can see some respite. While similarly, those that were down with expectation of a slowing economy, recession perhaps, may not necessarily need to go any lower. And so when we talking a floor? Perhaps we are, but we're awaiting the data to try to confirm that.
0: And I've always got to ask about risks as well. And Steve, is there a canary in the coal mine that we should be thinking about?
2: Yeah, I would say a canary in in the coal mine for the scenario just painted would be economic data that points to all the same causes and concerns that the Fed had going into 22, which would reverse the disinflation trend. That would be spikes in wage growth combined with continued upbeat job reports, stubborn CPI, PPI and PCE you know, that sort of suggests the, you know, that unlike past cycles, that there might be a new disconnect between monetary policy tools and their direct effect
1: on recession and in part inflation. Great. And Pete, I'll toss it over to you for the final word. Thanks, Matt. I think the financial sector looks attractive here with the possible exception of market sensitive names for at least the first part of the year. I would avoid them. Banks, in particular, should see some good net interest margin improvement from higher rates, but we do need to see credit stay benign for them to work. Another area would be the defensive growth parts of health care that we talked about earlier. I don't think we'll see the one-dimensional year that 22 was. The key in 23 could be when we get to an inflection point, one where the focus on higher rates and recession risks shifts to a view of looking over the valley, you might say, to improvements in most of the areas that have held the market back. Maybe it won't be a complete shift from headwinds to tailwinds, but at least the wind in our face might
0: subside. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you, Steve, for, for joining. I think this was a really interesting and important conversation to have towards the start of the year. And thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Markets in Focus from Raymond James Investment Management. You can find additional episodes and market insights at marketsinfocuspodcast.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Until next
3: time, I'm Matt Orton. Podcasts are for informational purposes only. This channel is not monitored by Raymond James Investment Management. Please visit markets and focus for additional disclosure. This material is a general communication being provided for information purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction. Nor is it a commitment from Raymond James Investment Management or any of its affiliates to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and you should not rely on it in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications, and make their own determinations together with their own professionals in those fields. Any forecasts, figures, opinions or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yield are not reliable indicators of current and future results. Past performance does not guarantee or indicate future results. There is no guarantee that these investment strategies will work under all market conditions, and each investor should evaluate their ability to invest for the long term, especially during periods of downturn in the market. Investing involves risk and may incur a profit or loss. Investment returns and principal value will fluctuate so that an investor's portfolio when redeemed may be worth more or less than their original cost. Diversification does not ensure a profit or guarantee against loss.